Welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little-known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit. Let's take a walk down range and see what the target shows us. Well, looks like a hit way back into ancient times. Today, we'll be talking about the second and final battle between Alexander the Great and Persian King Darius III, the famous Battle of Gaugamela in 331 BC. This was the decisive slugfest that led to Alexander's complete conquest of Persia. Now, when I originally learned about this battle, I learned it as Gaugamela. I've been told, however, that it can also be referred to as the Battle of Arbella. Hey, call it what you want. It still remains one of the epic battles in the undefeated career of Alexander the Great. Let's see what happened. We'll go back a bit to Alexander's father, King Philip II of Macedon. By 338 BC, he had forced the Greek city-states into submission and formed the Hellenic League. This was also referred to as the League of Corinth and was set up to unify Greek military forces under, of course, Macedonian leadership to take on Persia. Unfortunately for Big Phil, he was assassinated in 336 BC when one of his bodyguards stabbed him in the chest. By the way, Philip's loyal bodyguards quickly killed the assassin as he tried to flee. So what does that mean for our story? It means that the throne of Macedonia and control of the Hellenic League forces went to his son Alexander, who, as we'll see, was truly great. Alexander and his army set off across the Hellespont with the goal of conquering Persia. Kind of a boastful move for a young general whom many considered to be nothing more than an upstart riding the fame of his father. Yeah? Just wait. Alexander moved north and fought a Persian army under the command of a Greek mercenary named Memnon at the Battle of the River Granicus. Alexander defeated him, then moved southward along the coast to Helicanarsis, where he stomped Memnon a second time. Now Alexander was winning, sure, but he didn't want to fight some hired mercenary. He wanted to slug it out with the Persian king himself. He had to wait a little over a year for that to finally happen, getting his chance in November of 333 BC when he took on Darius III at the Battle of Isis. Alexander again won a resounding victory, forcing Darius to flee the battlefield. And to make matters even more embarrassing, after Darius fled, Alexander captured his mother wife, and two of his daughters. <laughs> wow, I bet that set up Darius for a bunch of your mom jokes. But seriously, with such a butt kicking, Darius decided to try a bit of diplomacy to avoid further conflict and to get his family back. Supposedly, he offered a ransom for the release of the prisoners and told Alexander he had to vacate Asia. Alexander thought that the tone of this offer was rather offensive and flat out turned it down. The victory at Isis gave Alexander complete control of the southern part of Asia Minor, 
like think modern day Turkey, while Darius holed up in Babylon, licking his wounds. Alexander and his army continued to move down the coast of the Mediterranean, and in January of 332 BC, they began a seven-month siege of the island city of Tyre. Taking Tyre gave him control of the Levant, and he was welcomed in Jerusalem. This also brought another attempt at diplomacy from Darius. Now he offered Alexander some land in the west, the hand of one of his daughters in marriage, a large ransom for the captives that were still being held, and a treaty of friendship. Yeah, Alex refused again. Pressing toward Egypt, Alexander fought the siege of Gaza, which resulted in another victory. Due to this win, the Persian satrap of Egypt peacefully surrendered to avoid further bloodshed. By the way, the satraps were the governors of the various provinces of the Persian Empire, and they had significant autonomy, although I don't think surrendering territory was part of that. Alexander stayed in Egypt long enough to lay out plans for a future city, which was to be named Alexandria. Then he and his army left Egypt to prep for what he knew would be another fight with Darius. And speaking of Darius, when Alexander had turned down his second offer, he began to prepare for battle. At the same time, he figured a third offer couldn't hurt. So as Alexander and his forces left Egypt, Darius made another attempt at diplomacy. This time he was even more generous. He praised Alexander for the kind treatment of his mother, who was still a captive. Again, offered one of his daughter's hands in marriage and threw in 30,000 talents of silver, which was a huge sum of money. And oh yeah, he also offered half his empire and for Alexander to be his co-ruler. For a third time, Alexander refused, saying that there could be only one sun shining in Asia. Then he went on to make a counteroffer to Darius, saying to him, either surrender or face me in battle to decide things once and for all. Because he knew he had no choice but to fight, Darius decided he would be the one to choose the ground for the encounter. When he had lost at Isis, he had been hampered by a narrow battlefield that had hurt his maneuverability. This time, he chose the flat, open plain at Gagamela. It was autumn, so the weather was mild, and the ground was firm. He even had his soldiers further flatten the ground to create the best conditions possible. Meanwhile, Alexander had been marching his army straight for Babylon, thinking the showdown would happen there. When scouts told him of Darius's presence at Gagamela, he turned his troops northward to go meet him. Alexander realized that this was the battle that he had longed for, a final showdown for control of the Persian Empire. That being said, let's check out the order of battle for each side. Now keep in mind that these are merely estimates from historians and can vary widely. I'll try to keep the numbers somewhere in the middle of the highs and lows. For the Persians, Darius had somewhere around 40,000 infantry or possibly several thousands more than that. For cavalry, perhaps 20,000. He had 10,000 of the immortals. These were the elite Persian heavy infantry and not a crew you'd want to mess with. Furthermore, 
there were nine or 10,000 Greek mercenaries and 1,500 archers. On top of all this, he also boasted 200 scythe chariots. I'm sure you've seen them in the movies. The kind of chariots with the spinning blades sticking out the side of the wheels, they could shred infantry to pieces. Darius also had 15 war elephants, though they didn't actually take part in the battle. Why not? Eh, maybe they were tired. And no, that's not a joke. Historians think the most plausible reason for the elephants being kept in the rear was that the animals were fatigued from the march to the battlefield and needed to rest. For the Macedonian army of Alexander the Great, historians are a bit more exact in their estimates. He had about 31,000 heavy infantry and a further 9,000 light infantry, made up mainly of peltists, who were skirmishers, and some archers. He had about 7,000 cavalry, including about 2,000 of the companions. These were the elite cavalry guard of Alexander himself, and were perhaps the first shock cavalry to be used in warfare. Alexander and his army made camp a little ways from Gagamela. Alexander assembled and led a small scouting party to move forward to check out Darius's numbers and disposition. From a hill, he was able to see the battlefield and how Darius had positioned his troops. While doing this, the Macedonians ran into an advance party sent by Darius. Some were able to flee, but a few were captured. They willingly told Alexander all he needed to know about the Persian force, giving him a much more accurate count of the enemy troops. On the night before the battle, Alexander held a council with his generals. It is said that Parmenio, who'd be commanding the left flank, pointed out that they were outnumbered by at least two or three to one. Thus, he suggested a night attack. Alexander nixed this idea, saying that he didn't want to steal a victory in the night. The following morning, it's said that Alexander overslept. Not a big deal, though, as he had no plans to start moving very early. He wanted his troops to be well-rested, not up at the crack at dawn. On top of this, he also wanted them to have time to eat. Conversely, Darius and the Persians had spent an uneasy night, tensed for a night attack that had never come. When the Macedonians arrived on the field of battle, the Persians were, of course, already in formation. Remember, this was a large, flat field, so there were no obstacles or odd features to inhibit movement. Darius had positioned his, his troops in his usual fashion. He was in the center on a chariot. To either side were his immortals, along with archers and cavalry extending to both flanks. His chariots were positioned along the front line as well. Behind this was his infantry and their long phalanx battle lines. As for Alexander, he seemed to be using his usual formation as well. He placed in the center his well-trained Macedonian heavy infantry, with light infantry and what archers he had on either side of it. As always, he and his companion cavalry took the right flank, and he would have direct command of the right half of the army. His general Parmenio and more cavalry took the left flank, and Parmenio would have direct command 
of the left half of the army. To the rear of the center were placed reserve infantry. So far pretty typical. But then Alexander did something different. At the ends of his left and right flanks, he placed infantry echelon back at a 45 degree angle. This was done to try to entice the Persian cavalry to attack wide on his flanks. As the battle began, the Macedonians advanced with their heavy infantry in the center, doing battle with the Persian infantry. Darius sent part of his cavalry and some infantry to hit Parmenion on the Macedonian left. While this was happening, Alexander and his companion cavalry moved to their extreme right. This was done to draw as much of the rest of the Persian cavalry as possible to the right flank to create a gap in the enemy line. The Persian cavalry moved with Alexander and made an attempt to outflank him. What ensued was an intense cavalry battle in which Alexander and his companion cavalry were greatly outnumbered. However, Alexander knew how and when to plug in reserves, and his elite horsemen made disciplined charges and were able to contain their Persian counterparts. Now while Alexander was fighting this fierce cavalry battle on the right, Darius sent his scythe chariots into the Macedonian center. They were attacked by javelin throwers. Those who made it through this shower of javelins rode at the Macedonian line. The Macedonian response was to open ranks and create alleys through which the chariots harmlessly passed until they could be eliminated by the armed grooms of the cavalry positioned in the rear. Okay, here's where Alexander's plan really comes together. As the Persians pushed further into his right flank, they created a gap or break in their line. Alexander started to filter in his reserve and disengaged his companion cavalry. Then he assembled his available units into a large wedge and with himself leading the charge, hit this gap in the Persian line. The Persian infantry in the center was still engaged with the Macedonian heavy infantry and thus couldn't do much to hinder Alexander's charge. His wedge smashed the weakened Persian center and took out many of the immortals. Alexander himself saw Darius and threw a spear at him, but missed. At this point, Darius was in serious danger of being cut off, and seeing that victory was hopeless, he hopped off his chariot, grabbed a horse, and quit the field. His troops fighting on the Macedonian right saw him flee, and themselves broke into a retreat to be pursued and routed by the Macedonians. At this point, Alexander could have pursued Darius, but he received a desperate message from Parmenion. The Macedonian left flank had been encircled by Persian cavalry and was in danger of being wiped out. This put Alexander in a quandary. Pursue Darius and kill him to end the war right then? Or let Darius escape and go back to help Parmenion and preserve his troops? Alexander decided Darius could wait and went to help Parmenion. Now while Parmenion was fighting for his life on the left flank, the combatants drifted even farther left and caused the gap to form between them and the Macedonian center. The Persian cavalry nearby, unaware that their king had already fled the field, 
exploited this gap and charged through. They could have done some serious damage if they would have attacked the infantry from the rear or joined in on the attack on Parmenian. Instead, they chose to keep going, heading for the Macedonian camp in order to loot their supplies. While there, they tried to rescue Darius's mother. Remember, she was still a captive, but she was scared and confused and refused to go with them. Just as well, because the Macedonian rear guard showed up to dispatch the looters. As this was happening, Alexander and his companion cavalry were hitting the Persians engaged with Parmenian. Accounts say that this final engagement was the fiercest of the whole battle. Sixty of the companions were killed, but Alexander managed to prevail. Eventually the Persians retreated in great disorder, and the battle was won. After the fighting stopped, and everyone had a chance to catch his breath, Parmenian took a force to loot the Persian baggage train. Large amounts of supplies were taken, along with 4,000 silver talents and the king's own chariot. The Macedonians also found themselves in possession of 15 war elephants. While the looting went on, Alexander and his companions set off after Darius. They weren't able to catch him. Darius made his way eastward and was soon joined by cavalry survivors and then later by some of his infantry. Though history tells us that this was the decisive battle to defeat Persia, Darius wasn't about to give up. His plans, which he told to what remained of his army, were for them to continue east and raise more troops. He rightfully guessed that Alexander would make for Babylon and knew he'd have to confront him again at some point. He also sent dispatch riders with letters to his eastern satraps urging them to remain loyal and supply more troops. Now Darius did try to gather troops, but couldn't put together anything approaching what he had at Gagamela. This was partly because his authority was lessened by his loss, and partly because as Alexander moved farther and farther into the empire, he allowed the various satraps to keep their positions of authority in exchange for their loyalty to him. By 330 BC, with Alexander's forces closing in, Darius decided to retreat even further eastward into Bactria. The satrap there was Bessus, who had been with Darius at Gagamela, but he had his own plans. He seized Darius and had him executed. Bessus took off with Darius's army and declared himself king of Persia. When Macedonian forces found Darius's body shortly after this, Alexander was saddened. To him, Darius had been a respected enemy who deserved a better end than being betrayed by one of his own. Alexander had his body brought to Persepolis and gave him a lavish funeral before having him buried in the royal tombs. I guess you could say that this made Alexander's rule of Persia official. Yeah, I know, Bessus was claiming to be king, but that didn't last too long. The following year, with Alexander closing in, he was betrayed and arrested by his own officers. Hey, I guess you could say, <laughs> what goes around comes around. After torturing him for a while, they turned him over to Alexander, who tortured him some more before executing him. The Battle of Gagamela was one of, if not the, 
greatest victory of Alexander the Great's career. But he wasn't done yet. He had more battles to fight and more lands to conquer. But talking about those, well, that would be another story. And there you have it, kind listeners. Thank you for tuning in. You know, if you like this episode, please tell your friends about it. And check out some of my other episodes. I very much look forward to talking with you again next week.